Hello, everyone. Hello. I hope you all are having a wonderful day. I like literally just got home from the barn. I had a plan to like brush my hair and put some mascara on, but that didn't happen. So here we are. I think that's kind of the life of barn horse people is it always feels like you don't have enough time and the stuff like taking care of yourself and looking good kind of goes to the end. I had someone tell me that I shouldn't wear a hat on these live sessions because it covers my eyes, which is true. But I always have helmet hair and who has time to do their hair. So anyways, in tonight's session, I have some great questions from you guys to answer. I also wanted to read through a post from Facebook where we were asking you to just share some of your wins because I think dressage is so hard and it's really important to celebrate the little things like the little improvements that you make with your horse because while they seem insignificant to someone else, it's those little things and those little bits of improvement that make such a huge difference. Oh, hi, Lori. You're here early tonight, Lori. So a few updates. Um, as you guys know, I was supposed to go to the horse show last weekend. I had like five horses entered at the horse show and they had a few cases of the EHV1 and I decided not to go, which was a hard decision. Um, but unfortunately, there have been a lot more cases of the virus here in California. And it's it's kind of a scary virus because it seems like some horses will run a temperature, but then the it can progress into the horses becoming neurologic. And once they become neurologic, you pretty much have to use euthanize them because they can't get up. And so that's happened to a few horses. So it looks like a lot of California is like shutting down and we're not really letting any horses come in or leave our facility. Um, I was talking to the owner of my barn. And so at my barn, there's five trainers. There's about a hundred horses. So it's a big facility. And my barn owner called me today and she's, she's concerned about the virus. And she said, and it's so true as horse people that the coronavirus is one thing. Like if we get sick, like we'll deal with it. But if our horses get sick, she was like, I'm way more concerned about the horse virus than I am about the coronavirus. So that's true. And horses are very fragile. So fingers crossed that it doesn't come to my barn. And I feel so bad for everyone that has lost a horse um, to anything, but especially the virus that's going around in spirit. So anyways, that's the update on the virus. I'm glad that I didn't go to the horse show because a lot of people did. And if I had gone, then when I came back home, I would have had to isolate my horses for, they're saying like between seven to 14 days, which would be really hard to do at my barn. Like I said, there are so many horses there. So it was a good decision not to go, even though at the time it was hard. What other updates? Oh yeah. So I've been doing for my, like for my courses, I always have office hours. And one thing that has been really fun with the groundwork masterclass and also with the monthly workshops that I do is that people have been sending me little video clips and then I can actually play the video on zoom and we can go over the video together, which is super, super helpful. Not only 
for me because I can see exactly where you guys are and it helps me give you better content, but also for the student because like we talk about, okay, there's this theory and there's these exercises you can do, but sometimes you really need someone there to look at you exactly and to look at your horse exactly and to say, hey, look, this is what you're doing wrong here. This is exactly what you need to change. And I was helping a student on last night's Zoom call, and she had a little bit of a asymmetry in her upper body. And it was great because she could actually see it. And we went through her video together and I was like, okay, we pause the video. Now look at your body position and that has to change. And so I think that that's what's really cool about the Zoom sessions and the videos that I do is that it's a different avenue for you guys to improve and for you guys to learn. Because sometimes when you're on your horse and in the moment, there's so much going on, so much else going on. Like you have to be thinking about what your horse is doing, what's going on next door, what you should be doing. And so to find another way to help you learn, whether it's watching videos or taking a course or coming to office hours or listening to a Q&A session like this is just opens up a whole nother avenue that helps to make progress and to actually learn and to complement the lessons that you have, you know, the one-on-one lessons that you have with your instructor. So Claudia says she wants to start the Groundwork Masterclass. (laughs) You can't wait for November. Yeah, so that's a little bit of a challenge. And with my masterclasses, I like to have a group of students that go through it together because the office hours and that one-on-one support is so important where, you know, you can submit your videos and you, I'm there to answer your questions. And that is really important. So yes, I will be doing it soon. Um, also next month. So mark your calendar Sunday, March 13th. I'm going to be doing a free webinar on the dressage training scale That's going to be a tricky day because the time changes. So I don't know if everyone's going to be able to show up because some people switch time zones. Other people don't switch time zones. I don't really know how that all works, but hopefully on Sunday, March 13th, we'll all be on Zoom. I'll be talking about the training scale and then I will be doing my training scale masterclass starting in March again, which will be super fun. I always like going through that and I've been adding a lot of videos to it. Uh, One thing that I've started adding more to my masterclasses is not only like me demonstrating and demonstrating the exercises, how to do it correctly, how to do it incorrectly, but also taking clips from students. So of me teaching students, which I think, again, is hugely valuable when you can see someone else learning and kind of struggling through the same stuff that you're struggling through. So that's it on the courses. Um, One thing that I wanted to talk about, I always like to talk a little bit about, you know, what I'm working on or something that I'm struggling with at the moment, because I think that um, it's really important. And so sometimes when you're riding, and I'm sure we've all felt this, It happens to me kind of, I would say more when I'm in a lesson, is that sometimes I get frustrated. Like I hear 
whoever's helping me telling me to do something. And I hear what they're saying. They have a point, but I just like feel frustrated. It's like, I can't do that. Like I, I hear what you're saying. I got you and I'm frustrated and I can't make it happen. And I was trying to like analyze my brain as I was getting frustrated today, riding Kensington. Um, But I guess what I came back to with all of that is that I really, when I start feeling frustrated, I have to really kind of like get myself out of that consciously. And I have to think about breathing. I have to think about relaxing all of my muscles because when you get frustrated, you tense up everywhere. And like for me, especially, I tense up in my neck and in my shoulders so much. And um, it's funny because I was reading Sally Swift's book, Centered Riding 2. Here it is. It's a really good book. You see all my sticky notes. Um, But she talks about kind of this body scanning and like scanning your body and feeling where you have tension in your body. And you'll notice that that same place that you have tension carries over into your horse. And so when you start to feel frustrated and you start to tense your body, it's going to make your horse's body get tense. So some strategies that I was using was like just trying to breathe, recognizing that I was getting frustrated and like, okay, what can I do to let go of this frustration? Um, Sometimes even just stopping for a minute, like giving your horse a loose rein, taking a 30 second walk break and just kind of letting that frustration diffuse and then starting up again, I think is a really good idea. And sometimes I think, you know, like when you're in a lesson, it's hard because you want to be really respectful of your trainer and you want to listen and you want to try to do what they're telling you. But sometimes, you know, if you feel like you're getting really frustrated, if your horse is getting really frustrated, then sometimes you might have to like stop for a minute and say, hey, you know, I don't understand what you want or this is what I'm feeling because it's true that sometimes what your trainer sees, like for example, today, so I was riding Kensington and my husband, Herman was helping me, which we're pretty good when we help each other. But again, it's always like, I get a little more frustrated with him because he's my husband. And so there's like that emotional component. But anyway, so I was riding Kensington and he was saying, you have him too curled and over positioned in the neck. So he was too low and over bent in the neck. And it's like, yeah, I know that I have him there, but the reason I have him there is because I can't get him soft. Like he feels stiff and, you know, it's really helpful to have some eyes on the ground because he was absolutely right that like curling him behind the vertical over bending him, that's not going to get him soft. But I, you know, when you can tell someone like, this is what I'm feeling now, help me get through that. How can we um, get to where I have a better feeling? Then that is helpful as well. So the other thing that I think is important is that when you take a lesson, 
part of the job of your instructor is to push you a little bit outside your comfort zone or to try to get you to change and do something different. And sometimes in that process of getting pushed out of your comfort zone and trying to do something a little bit different, you do get frustrated. And so does your horse. So for me personally, I love having lessons, but I always feel like I have my best rides when I'm on my own, because when you're riding on your own, you're really riding through feel. And for me, it's a lot easier to get in the zone where I'm really just like in the moment with my horse and feeling what my horse needs and then executing that when I'm riding on my own. It's harder for me to really get in the zone when I'm in a lesson. And ultimately, um, it's really important that you can ride on your own. So like, yes, lessons are so incredibly valuable. And I always put a huge weight for myself that I get lessons, that I get help, because that's really important in growth and in, you know, making progress with your horse. But it's also equally important that you can ride alone and that you take what you've learned from your lessons and you have to take ownership from that and you have to get to where you can replicate that on your own. Because when you go in the show ring, no one's there helping you. And so you have to really be able to feel what's happening and to react to that on your own. And it takes time. Like I know you know, when you're first starting out, or if you have a new horse, you kind of need a lesson every day, because you need someone to really keep you on track and keep you out of trouble. But once you have kind of that foundation there, then the next step is that you have to be able to ride on your own and to really feel what your horse is doing. Um, Rachel says, how many lessons would you recommend a month? Again, that really depends. Like I would say it depends on your level, like how competent you are. It depends on your horse's level. Um, I would say that if you have a solid relationship with your horse, like if you feel like you can ride your horse and you can walk track canter every day and you're going to be fine on your own then I would say, you know, like two, three lessons a week is great because that would give you enough frequency and lessons that you don't go off track, but you also have a few days to work on stuff on your own. I think that's really important. Now, if you're a beginner rider or if you have like a new horse, like if you have a young horse that you really need help with, then you might need a lesson every day for, you know, quite a while. So I think it's good to err on the side of having more help <laughs> rather than not enough. But certainly the point at which, like, one of my prerequisites for my students, if they want to show, is that they need to be able to get on their horse, you know, warm their horse up and kind of go through the test on their own without having a ton of input from me, because that really is the measure of how prepared they are, is can you do it on your own? Okay, that's my spiel. Let's answer Claudia's question. Um, how do you work with a horse that always rushes and tends to go straight to a brisk trot and it takes her a while to calm down? Um, 
what can you do with a mare that really feels I have to hold on to the reins? Okay, that's a good question. So if you have a horse that really wants to rush and go forward, I think the best solution to that is doing lots of bending and turning. And that's, it's really important because horses are flight animals and they want to go. And so if you just hang on them and tell them like, no, don't go forward, stop, slow down, the more you hold them back, the more they want to go. But if you can kind of bend and turn and yield and bend and turn and yield, then you can let some of that energy out, but in a way that is still controlled for your horse. So I would recommend starting from the ground, doing lots of like bending and yielding and really get the horse supple on the ground so that when you get on that you can immediately start bending and turning. And every time you bend your horse and turn your horse, it helps them to slow down a little bit. When I was younger, um, we used to go and move cattle from one pasture to the next. And we would always be out there on some like, you know, green broke young horse. And the cowboy I worked with, Larry, he would say, just go out there and just trot small circles around the sagebrushes. And we just trot small circle left, small circle right, like tiny turns until the horse would kind of relax and line out. And then you could let them you know, trot more and more straight lines. Okay, I have a lot of questions printed out. First one is from Heidi. I would love to hear your rehab protocol for any horses that have had significant time off. I will be following my vet's, vet's guidance, of course, but I'm curious to your experience. Mare had hind limb suspensory desmitis. It's been six months of stall rest with tack walking only. Wow. She's lost a bit of muscle. She's coming back, 15-year-old, schooling PSG. Thank you for rehab protocols. Okay, so rehab is hard. Um, I think the hardest part about rehab is that the horses get really pent up. Like not only do they lose all their muscle, but they they get like all this energy and you have to be very careful when you're rehabbing a horse that you stay safe. I think that is always the most important thing because vets are sometimes a little bit unrealistic where they're like, okay, you lock your horse in six months in a stall and now you have to like get on and start just tack walking and that can be dangerous like horses will do things that's very uncharacteristic of them like if they're in general a really good and quiet horse when they've been locked up in a stall for four months they will do things that they don't normally do you know they might like run off or try to buck you off or do crazy things because they haven't had turnout and they haven't been able to run and buck and play. So safety is always first and for, foremost. Um, I am not a fan of drugs, but I have had horses rehabbing them that I have had to give them a little bit of ACE just so that I stay safe and so that the horse stays safe. Because if they buck you off and go galloping around the, the property, then that kind of defeats the whole purpose of doing the rehab. The other thing that I recommend for rehab is in general, especially with a suspensor, you want to avoid small turns 
and anything lateral for as long as possible. So you can start doing transitions like walk, call, walk, or trot, walk, trot, or even some rain back to, to get the horse's top line strong. But you want to really wait as long as possible before you start doing anything laterally. So any like leg yields or any tight circles, because those are what put a lot of strain on the tendons. So good luck, Heidi, with your rehab. Okay, next question is from Pam. I think Pam is here tonight. How do I get a lower leg stable in the canter? My trainer says I swing my right leg more than my left leg, regardless of my lead. I wasn't even aware I was swinging either leg. So now I'm trying to be more aware of it. That's the first step. Yes, Pam. Awareness is always the first step. What do they say? Like, that's like an addict recovery thing. Like awareness is awareness that you have a problem is the first step to recovery. So I've had this problem on some horses about swinging my lower leg. A couple of things. One is just like you said, start to feel that like underneath of your boot. If you feel like your leg is swinging back and forth then what you want to do is you want to kind of think about not gripping because if you grip, then that pushes your seat out of the saddle. But you want to think about using your outer thigh muscles to kind of wrap your leg around the horse and stabilize your lower leg, but still allow your seat to really absorb and follow the motion of the canter. Um, in my rider position masterclass, we go over a lot of really great exercises for that. But basically what you want to strengthen is like your glute lead muscle. So your outer thigh muscles are what allow you to actually put your leg on the horse. And you'll find that you probably have one leg that's weaker than the other. I think you said it's your right leg that swings around more. So probably your right leg is weaker and you need to do some more um, exercises to strengthen your right leg so that you can keep that steadier on your horse. Um, Debbie, do I think wider leathers help control the swing in the leg? Um, I don't know, that's a good question. I haven't ever tried using wider stirrup leathers, but um, I think a lot of it just comes from your leg. The other thing that can contribute is the balance of your horse's canter. So if you have a horse that's like really out of balance or really croup high or like their canter is really rocking, that can cause your leg to swing more. So working on making sure that your horse is lowering and sitting enough behind and really in balance in the canter, that will also help. And that's I mean, that's the hard part about dressage, right? It's easy to have the perfect position and to look good when your horse is perfect. It's harder to have the perfect position when your horse isn't perfect. And so you just have to keep going back and forth between fixing your horse, fixing your position, keep going back and forth. Okay. Um, Hannah, when I do the leg yield, it works fine at the walk. When we start doing it at the trot, he starts going too fast at the sitting trot to coordinate my timing of the aids. Not sure about the right way to slow him down during the leg yield. Okay, so if in the leg yield the horse starts rushing in the trot, what I would do is like go up the center line or the quarter line, 
start the leg yield. If the horse just goes running forward, bring the horse to the walk, but keep your leg on asking for the leg yield. So keep your leg on, walk, do the leg yield in the walk, and then try to pick up the trot from the leg yield at the walk. Probably what's happening is that you're trotting and your horse, um, when you put your leg on, they don't understand that your leg means to go sideways. So they just go forward. So what you want to do is keep your leg, keep your inside leg on, bring the horse to the walk, make the horse leg yield at the walk, and then see if you can pick up the trot and keep the horse moving over. Okay, next question is from Alex. I would love to know exercises to help develop a horse's collected trot. Um, I would say transitions. Transitions are so important. Um, I actually have a workshop on transitions, but basically to develop a collected trot, what is collection? Collection is about rebalancing your horse, getting the croup to lower a little more. Collection is about getting more activity in the hind legs. So doing transitions, trot, walk, trot transitions, forward trot, collected trot, forward trot are really good. Um, you can also do a little shoulder forward through your transitions to help engage that inside hind leg and lower the hindquarters. But yeah, tons of transitions are really the best thing to develop collection in general. Okay, Barbara, how do I teach a square halt from the ground and from the saddle? The best way to get your horse to halt square is to focus on the connection and the frame. So when you can go into the halt and your horse is really round and their back is up, they're going to be much more likely to halt square than if when you go into the halt, they stick their head up and they look around and they pull on you or they curl behind the bit. So that is my best tip for getting square halts is just really focus on the contact that you want to have, you know, six ounces of pressure in your hand and that the horse's pull is up, but the horse is really round. And if you can keep that into your halt, it's going to go a long way to getting your horse to halt square. Um, and if you have, you know, eyes on the ground, that's always the best because it's hard to feel it. Like it's hard to know if your horse is square or not. And then like, if you lean over to the side and try to look and see if your horse is square or not, then usually that messes up the halt. So just focus on the contact and the connection and, um, don't worry too much about it. The more that you obsess over it, sometimes the worse it gets. I also like to work on my halts along the rail because that helps to keep the horse straight. So, okay, Sue says, I watched your leg yield video and posting on the other side was so helpful. Can you please tell me what to do at the show in a leg yield? I would love to know if I should post or sit. Okay, good question. So yeah, this week's YouTube video was about posting trot. I think posting trot is such a valuable tool because posting trot allows your horse's back to warm up. It's so useful on a young horse or a tense horse. I really think that posting trot is really important 
because you don't want to be bouncing on your horse's back. And if your horse is tense in the back and you're bouncing on their back, then it just perpetuates worse and worse trot. So posting trot is awesome. I love posting trot. I don't like sitting trot. <laughs> Let me know in the chat if any of you guys like to sit the trot. Sitting trot is hard. I think you always think that one day it's just like going to be easy and feel really good and it's hard. So should you post or sit the trot in a test? Um, and that really depends. At training and first level, sitting trot is optional. So you do not have to sit the trot. And again, they do that because they want your horse to have the time to really use their back properly and to develop their back muscles and to really basically establish collection before you have to sit the trot. So I would recommend that if you're more comfortable in posting trot, that you just post the trot in first level. And for the leg yield, yes, you can change your posting diagonal for the leg yield so that you can apply your leg more effectively. If you haven't watched this week's video on posting trot, you should watch it. You'll know what I'm talking about. Um, but the judge, so you won't get marked down for posting on the incorrect diagonal. The judge won't mark you down for that, but it may affect your horse's balance. So I recommend that you should always post on the correct diagonal, but you're not going to get like marked down points for posting on the incorrect diagonal. Okay, Leslie. What is your riding schedule for maintaining top fitness during off season? That's a good question. In general, I usually ride my horses five days a week. I would say that about two of those days are like lower intensity, more, you know, stretching and lots of walking. And then the other days I do more work. Um, I do in the off season more give them like, the full weekend off. So my general plan is I ride my horses Monday, Tuesday, Wednesdays, they have off and then they work Thursday, Friday, Saturday. But sometimes I think it's really good to give them two full days off because they usually, you know, they're working pretty consistently. Um, so sometimes I do give them two full days off. I think that consistency is probably one of the most important things is that you're not like, you know, leaving your horse locked up in their stall and then working them super hard two days a week, because that's just not good for them. And particularly at my barn, um, we have some turnout, but it's not like the horses are out all day. So the more that they move and walk and just get out, the better it is for them. So it really depends on your horse's age. It depends on like what level you're riding or training. Certainly as my horses get older, like um, I have a few horses that are like 15, 16. I try to be really smart about what I do with them on a daily basis and that I don't overwork them, that I maintain a level of fitness, but I don't overstress the difficult movements that put a lot of strain on your horse. So 
movements that put a lot of strain on your horse are things like half passes, pirouettes, small circles, small turns. That puts a lot of strain on your horse. Other stuff like, you know, a lot of walk or just like basic gates that doesn't put as much strain on your horse's body. So that's kind of it. Um, anyways, I think my husband is cooking dinner. I'm hungry. I've been riding all day. It was a little chilly in California. I think it was like 39 this morning. It was kind of cold. I'm sure that's nothing compared to where you guys are. Um, but the days are getting longer. Spring is coming. Um, I have my webinar on the training scale coming up next month, which I'm always really looking forward to. We're in the process of moving, so I may or may not be in my new house by then. But life's a journey. I guess we just have to enjoy it. The new, the good thing about hopefully where we're moving is that it's closer to the barn. But moving is very stressful. So it's all kind of up in the air. We have an offer on our house and then we put an offer in on another house and we'll see. It would be really nice to live closer to the horses. Of course, my dream is always to live at the barn. Rachel said it's negative 40. Oh my gosh. I can't even imagine that negative 40. I grew up in Colorado and I left because it was so cold in the winter and it's hard with the horses. So I feel for all of you guys in the freezing cold, but spring is coming and we're going to have an awesome spring and summer and spend a lot of time riding our horses. So that's it for tonight. Good night, everyone.